Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 689 for the 17th of April, 2020. This week, Facebook can be useful, but the unremitting flood of advertisements and other improvements that are forced onto users can be maddening. There are ways to fix the problems. In short circuits, the COVID-19 pandemic has brought conspiracy nuts, crooks, and liars out from wherever they normally spend their time. We need honest information and facts. Fortunately, they exist, and they're not that hard to find. When I described my experiences with a Google Nest Mini in January, I said the device appeared to have some defects. It took far too long to convince Google of that, but now the problem has been resolved. In spare parts, only on the website, some applications that are installed on computers have started asking the user to log in. This is a good trend. This month's Microsoft Patch Tuesday includes a lot of security fixes, so it's not one to delay. And 20 years ago, Netscape was excited about the release of Navigator 6. Netscape was already feeling pressure from Microsoft, and a few years later, from Firefox. Navigator was discontinued in 2008. Although Facebook is useful, it's also intrusive, and it can be maddening. There are ways to keep what's good and eliminate at least some of what's bad. First, consider a couple of the good features. When my older daughter suffered a sudden acute life-threatening liver failure nearly three years ago, I used Facebook to keep members of the extended family up to date. That's something that would have been impossible with only a telephone, even a smartphone. Even earlier, my wife and her cousin in Wheeling managed to locate and communicate with the granddaughter of a distant relative who used to send Christmas cards from Poland to my wife's parents. The grandmother was still alive and had some old photos of my wife as a child. Facebook also has countless groups and pages that allow us to communicate. Sometimes the truth is even found on Facebook. But Facebook developers add new features that many users detest and generally provide no way to disable those features. Consider the Stories feature that Facebook added to compete with Snapchat and Instagram. If I want Snapchat or Instagram, I'll sign up for them. Why does a similar feature have to be added to Facebook? Wouldn't it be nice to just click a button and have Stories vanish? You can but you need to use an add-on. And what about all the advertisements? There are so many of them, and far too many seem to be for questionable products or services. Wouldn't it be nice to just click a button and have the ads vanish too? You can, but you'll need to use an add-on. What you'll need depends on what you use to interact with Facebook. Social Fixer and Fluff Busting Purity, or FB Purity, both work with most browsers on any operating system. Either will improve your Facebook experience by eliminating the annoyances. But it's important to know that Facebook actively works to defeat 
both of them. Each has a feature or two that the other lacks, so you may consider combining them. Running FB Purity and Social Fixer simultaneously usually works, but the developers of both applications recommend against it. They can get in each other's way. My preference is generally to use Social Fixer. Without Social Fixer, Facebook is cluttered with things I don't want. The Stories section takes a huge chunk from the top of the page. Instant games clutter the right column. An easily clicked by accident Create button is in the top bar. A Watch Reminders link in the left column. And advertisements clutter the interface. You'll see an example of an advertisement on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This one is particularly annoying to me because it's an ad Facebook shows only to me to tell me that I should pay them so that they can place annoying ads for TechBiter Worldwide on other people's timelines and annoy them. Well, no. Be gone. When Social Fixer is running, all that junk is gone. The ads are replaced by a little text box that shows the name of the sponsor just in case I'd like to see it. Oddly enough, I hardly ever want to see the advertisements, but I can click the box if I do want to, and I do every now and then. Stories, instant games, create, watch reminders, and posts that fit any of the topics I've told Social Fixer I don't want to see are gone. Social Fixer's settings panel offers many options that allow the user to specify what will be shown and how the user interface works. Without Social Fixer, I used to submit a comment accidentally by pressing Enter. I just wanted a new line, but Facebook interprets Enter as Submit. Social Fixer can be set up to use Control-Enter to submit a comment so that the user can create a new paragraph within a long comment easily by just pressing Enter. There are ready-made filters to eliminate messages that large numbers of users want to hide, and users can create their own filters. I also use a Show or Hide Parts of the Page function that allows me to remove stories and other objects on the page. The other primary Facebook fixer that's used in browsers is called FB Purity. There are more similarities than differences between Social Fixer and FB Purity. Both can disable autoplay videos, force Facebook to stay in most recent mode instead of switching your view to what Facebook would like it to be. When FB Purity is running, you'll see a button labeled FBP at the top of the screen. Click that button and you'll be able to see the settings menu. As with Social Fixer, the user is given control over what's displayed and how it appears. Either of these extensions will greatly improve your Facebook experience on a desktop, a notebook, or a convertible system. Both have been created by very small development teams. Social Fixer, for example, has just one developer, but there are several volunteers who help with support. If you feel that one of these applications saves you time or frustration, send the developer a donation. Social Fixer and FB Purity are both installed as extensions or add-ons for the browser. You'll find them in your browser publisher's online store. And then we come to mobile devices. They are different because no third-party add-ons exist to eliminate the content you don't want. They can't because the Facebook app is self-contained and Facebook has no desire to open their platform to anybody else. 
It is possible to interact with Facebook using a browser app on an Android or iOS mobile device, and doing that alone will increase the device's battery life. Facebook wants you to use the Facebook app, though, even though it's a resource hog. Just removing Facebook and Messenger from a mobile device will improve both battery life and performance. So although you can improve battery life by using a mobile browser on the phone or tablet instead of the Facebook app, you will still see the stories and all of the ads because the browser-based Facebook improvers don't work on mobile devices. Fortunately, third-party apps for Facebook are available for both Android and iOS devices. Let's look at iOS first. Visit the Apple Store from your iOS device to obtain Friendly. There are a couple of other competing apps, but this is the one I use on an iOS tablet. It is free, but buying the $2 upgrade is well worthwhile because the free version doesn't block advertisements. For a free or $2 application, Friendly includes a lot. It replaces both the Facebook app and the Messenger app. It supports multiple accounts, and it can be linked to both Facebook's desktop app and the Messenger desktop app. It also supports Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Pinterest, Reddit, Tumblr, and Pocket. Friendly can block advertisements and trackers, but it also has a lot of bugs. Occasionally, it gets into a loop of some sort and repeatedly displays the same two or three posts, no matter how much I scroll. Closing the application and opening it again fixes that. Links to YouTube videos display a warning that support for the browser will end soon and that I should upgrade it. Perhaps the most annoying bug, though, is that Friendly frequently logs me out of Facebook and at the same time switches my preferred keyboard application from Gboard back to Apple's exceedingly lame keyboard application. Logging back in takes only a few seconds and switching back to Gboard is easy, but for an application called Friendly, that seems anything but. Even with all those bugs, though, Friendly is still a lot better than the Facebook app. It's easy to give Friendly a try, just download it from the App Store and use the free version for a while, then either delete it and go back to Facebook and Messenger apps, or pay a couple of bucks for the enhanced version. My analysis period lasted about 20 minutes. For me, the Facebook and Messenger apps are long gone. And although I have an iOS tablet, I have an Android phone. For Facebook, you need Swipe. Now, first of all, don't confuse Swipe with Swipe. What? Swipe with a Y, S-W-Y-P-E. That's a keyboard replacement app from Nuance. Swipe with an I, S-W-I-P-E, is the Facebook and Messenger replacement from APK Pure. That's the one you want. By default, Swipe will sync only once an hour, but you can change that setting to as little as 5 minutes or as much as 12 hours. More frequent syncing uses more battery power, of course. Users have good control over the colors and other parts of the theme, and both day and night themes are built in. The night theme is dark and works better in dim light, or if you use Facebook a lot, run the night theme all the time and save battery power. As with other Facebook fixers, you can hide stories and advertisements. As with Friendly, it supports multiple accounts, and upgrading to the Pro version costs $3. Swipe doesn't support the other platforms such as Instagram and Twitter like Friendly does, 
but it seems to operate faster and more smoothly, and it does replace both the Facebook app and the Messenger app. I have wished more than a few times that Swipe had an app for iOS devices. And although I understand that Facebook monetizes the service by showing ads, sometimes the advertisements are one-third or more of the posts on my timeline. Even worse, many of the service's components don't operate the way I'd like them to. Facebook is a worthwhile resource, but it's time to seek assistance when the annoyances begin to overwhelm the advantages. For me, that came a long time ago. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, this is a time of crisis. Most people will agree with that as we see more and more deaths from COVID-19, the illness that's related to the novel coronavirus that we first saw in China. A similar illness occurred in 1917 and then went dormant. In 1918, it came back and was crowned the Spanish influenza. Between January 1918 and December 1920, it infected 500 million people and killed 17 million to 50 million people. Some say 100 million people is a more accurate figure. And this was at a time when transcontinental airline travel did not exist. Some would call COVID-19 a Chinese illness, but that's both xenophobic and absurd. Viruses know no borders. Nature and evolution created the novel coronavirus. It spread far and wide because people travel far and wide these days. A person who's in Wuhan, China, one day might be in Columbus, Ohio, less than a week later. And a person who shows no symptoms in China might still show no symptoms in Ohio. So now we have a virus that's ahead by a score of 2 to 0. Fortunately, the nation can count on people like the Ohio Department of Health Director Amy Acton and Anthony Fauci, Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He's been there since 1984. Unfortunately, we also have to deal with misinformation and disinformation from others. The Internet has been both a blessing and a curse. There's no small amount of misinformation and disinformation out there, but there's a lot of good information, too. Give me a moment here to differentiate between misinformation and disinformation, though. Misinformation is accidental. No ill will is intended. A person who spreads misinformation is simply ignorant, and ignorance can be cured. Then there's disinformation. It is malignant and intentional. Regardless of where it comes from, disinformation consists of intentional lies that are being spread with malicious intent. The Soviet KGB mastered the technique used to create disinformation, their word for it, desinformatsia. That happened at a time when Russia's so-called president was an agent of the KGB. The technique is being used now to divide citizens of the United States. Good, valid, authenticated information also exists on the Internet. 
As you probably know, I live in Ohio, and as you may know, I am a liberal and one who attempts to separate fact from fiction. I did not vote for Ohio's Republican governor, and I do deplore many of his political positions, and yet he has generally handled the COVID-19 pandemic far better than the federal government because he listened to Amy Acton, the doctor he chose to head the Ohio Department of Health. When this emergency has passed, I have no doubt that people will point to the limited number of casualties in Ohio and say, see, it wasn't all that bad, the state overreacted. These people will not see or understand that actions encouraged by the state avoided thousands and perhaps tens of thousands of deaths. They are idiots, and they remind me that ignorance can be fixed, but there is no cure for stupidity. But to get back on track, two sources of accurate information exist. For Ohioans, the Department of Health has a website that shows the current conditions in the state. For listeners who are in other states and other countries, I hope that your government has similar resources. And regardless of where you are on the planet, Johns Hopkins University has an excellent presentation that shows the spread of COVID-19 cases. It also shows the number of deaths attributed to the disease and the number of new cases daily. There are hundreds and maybe thousands of scams related to the pandemic. It's important for you and for society to pay attention to reliable sources of information and to ignore misinformation and disinformation. If you decide to invest in a Google smart speaker, like the Nest Mini, for example, make sure it's working as expected. And if not, insist that Google replace it. In January, I described a Google Nest Mini speaker I thought it was useful, but noted that when the device is streaming audio, it sometimes just stops. When I check the home app on a phone or tablet, it tells me the music is still streaming. The solution is easy. Click Stop Streaming and then click the Play Music button again. Even though that's easy, it's still quite annoying and not something that should happen on a system that's been in widespread distribution for three years. At that time, I also described a problem with the Home Mini maintaining a connection with the Wi-Fi router, despite the Mini's close proximity to the router, less than four feet with nothing but air between them. The problem seemed to be less prevalent when using the 2.4 gigahertz signal instead of the 5 gigahertz signal. And I wrote, when the connection breaks, the user must unplug the power connection and plug it back in to reboot the device. When I switched from the 5 GHz signal to the 2.4 GHz signal, the number of instances dropped from several times a day to once a day or every day or two. That's better, I said, but it's still too often, and it's something that users have been complaining about from the beginning. After several hour-long sessions with Google support, my concern was finally escalated to BN, a senior specialist from the Google Home support team. He was the person who, after far too many previous support sessions, approved exchanging the Nest Mini I had with a new model. He wrote, I would like to set your expectation that this is not a 100% guarantee fix, since the issue may lie on the network. 
Well, I had already worked to resolve any network problems with Google's support technicians by moving the connection from the primary network to the guest network because they say the guest network gives the Nest Mini access to settings it would be unable to see on the primary network. Okay, whatever. I had also switched from the faster 5 GHz network to the slower 2.4 GHz network. At the time I spoke with BN, the problems occurred less often, but they still occurred. And that's what made working with Google support so frustrating. It appeared that they didn't believe what I was telling them. By the time the issue had been escalated to BN, it seemed that everyone understood the problem was likely with the Nest Mini and not with the network connection. BN approved replacing the device. I had to return the defective unit and wait for Google to send a new unit, and I was warned that I might be charged the full price of the unit if Google thought I was fibbing. The replacement arrived in a little more than a week. No charge. I had expected a reconditioned unit, but surprise, the replacement was a new device. After plugging it in and working through the setup process, which is pretty quick and easy, I was able to play music on the speaker, and so far it has worked without interruption. The Nest Mini is indeed a very cool unit for use at home, but only if it really works. The bottom line, at least for me, then, is this. If your Nest Mini seems to disconnect frequently without reason, work with Google to replace it, even though you might have to spend a lot of time convincing Google support that the problem actually exists. There's no need to ask Google support for access to spare parts. You can read this week's items right there on the website. Some applications that are installed on computers have started asking the user to log in. This is a good trend. This month's Microsoft Patch Tuesday includes a lot of security fixes, so it's not one to delay. And 20 years ago, Netscape was excited about the release of Navigator 6. Netscape was already feeling pressure from Microsoft, and a few years later from Firefox. Navigator was discontinued in 2008. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.